Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Panty Personals, or as my mother likes to call it, A Private Audience with the Queen. And these days, of course, I am very, very grateful to be back at the day job as Dublin's most glamorous pub landlady in rainbow-coloured Capel Street. But I still have time for a chat with today's guest, who's going to be bringing a very summery vibe and sound to the show. And to be honest, if I didn't have the time, I'd still have to find it, or else you know, risk being stripped of my Mayo citizenship, because today's guest is fellow Mayo woman and fellow cat lover, Elaine May. Queen of the fantastic funky dance tracks and someone who, like me, someone whose whole life was changed, for richer or for poorer, by the 2015 marriage equality referendum, because we were both married two years ago. Elaine's been performing for over 10 years now, some of you will know her from her days with electronic band La Galaxy, and others will know her from her collaborations with people like Soleil and Sorka Richardson. And more recently, she's been partnering with some other amazing female artists, uh, for example, with May Kay on the track No Forever, which was out earlier this year, and currently on the very hot track Still Feel with Alva Reddy. And Alva's here with us today and will be in later to do that track for us. But Elaine's also well known for standing up for gender equality and gay rights, which makes it slightly weird to me that we're not already best friends forever. Because it's true, Elaine, we haven't really crossed paths before, have we? No, no. I'm sure we've brushed shoulders, you know, like more yes, than likely. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> kind of unavoidable. Small, so I'm absolutely sure we have. But it does seem a little bit weird that you're from Mayo. I'm from Mayo. Um, you've been doing some really interesting work in the sort of women's rights and gay rights area and all this stuff. Um, it just feels like, God, it's so weird that we haven't properly connected for. So I'm very glad to have this opportunity to. Um, where Mayo are you from? Uh, I'm from Charlestown. I actually grew up in um, a really small I wouldn't even, it's not a village, like it was just like a tiny kind of rural place called Tolanahu. Um, like a townland. Yeah, yeah, like a townland, like a house here and then a house a mile away, you know, that kind of thing. Farmers. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I lived there until I was 12 and then my parents split up. So we moved to Kilkelly, which was, uh, it's a tiny little town, but it felt like moving to a serious metropolis after where, where I'd grown up. Um, and then we moved again then to Charlestown, I think when I was about 16 or something like that. Well, Kilkelly, where, that's, where's that? Uh, Kilkelly's just outside the airport as well. It's like okay. really close to Swinford, um, close yeah. to Charlestown. It's all around the same the same kind of neck of the woods. And so the farming family, like, you know, my dad was the local vet, so, you know, male farmers was my, you know, was my growing yeah, up. Yeah, um, yeah. So were you, were you like a couple of sheep, a couple of cows, that kind of thing? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like a few ducklings, a few hens. Small, small kind of little farm, but like a, a pretty lovely place to grow up. I feel like yeah. the country calls me now, you know, that I live in Dublin. I'm just like, like yesterday we were out kind of in um, Wicklow and it was just like, oh my God, it's so nice to be out among the grass and the fields again, you know. Well, it's kind of funny um, because in some ways I often think with country people that, well, for example, I was recently just um, hanging out with um, Imelda May doing a thing there the other day. And we were laughing because she's from Deepest Liberties mm -hmm. um, and she now lives in very rural England. And that's where she really gets her energy and wow, where she cool. feels great at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, well, I'm from Deepest Bog mm -hmm. and I just always want to be smack in the middle of yeah. everything. And sometimes I feel like I don't care if I never see a tree again. I grew up with them. But then when I go back to Mayo... I am so glad that I have that country background because I understand all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And and so I feel transplants like us, we get to understand both sides of that coin. Yeah. Whereas I think city people will never understand the country. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like jumping off hay bales and, yeah. you know, taking the tractor out and stuff like that. Um, like... It was great. I really loved growing up on a farm and I'm glad that it kind of happened that way. But similarly to you, like I really love being in the city and mm. there's a big part of me that's just kind of like, I'm not willing to give that up either, you know. Yeah. Um, but my my wife's from Donegal, so the two of us have have all of the excuses in the world to leave the city and yeah. like um, go to more rural areas. So we're lucky in that way. Your wife, Roisin, yes. the northern pronunciation. Thanks very yes. much. Yeah, perfect. Um, <laughs> Ten points. And so, you know, my growing up, I feel was like super idyllic up to a 
certain point or whatever. Um, but my growing up age is very different than yours in the sense that I'm from a family of six kids. Mm-hmm. It's always noisy, always, you know, the lot of us running around, all the neighbors' kids in as well, because we were on the edge of a town. Whereas you're an only child. Yep. Um, and for until you were 12, certainly you were literally in the middle of nothing. Yep. So what was that lonely? Um, you know, funny that you say that because I actually thought the expression was lonely child until I was about like I, in my early 20s. I was like, yeah, I'm a lonely child. Oh, my um, God. That is kind of beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've since learned that it's only child. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was in certain ways, but I was actually very lucky because I have lots of cousins and my mm. cousins used to come and visit all the time. And we we were super close. Um, but they live nearby or? Well, you know, like nearby in country terms, like half an hour away, kind of. Okay. Um, yeah, that is nearby. Yeah. So I saw them pretty frequently but like I definitely would have been out on the farm like talking to myself and like you know <laughs> chatting with the animals and stuff like that but mm. I I kind of love that um and yeah it was a bit lonely at times but I think in general like you know I wouldn't I wouldn't change it or anything yeah well I mean there was times when I was a kid where I would have been thrilled to be an only child well, this is it. Yeah, but of exactly. course no I'm so glad that I come from a big noisy family or whatever yeah and you know my sort of projection now onto this okay. story is like you're out in the fields amongst the trees and the cows <laughs> and all of that. And you're this artistic kid, imagination running wild and all of that stuff. Um, is that the case? Like, do you think that, you know, added to your being an artistic person? I do, because I, I feel like I had to entertain myself in lots of ways. Mm. And like, whenever there were people around, I was that annoying kid that like wanted to do a show or something like, yeah. you know, like absolutely atrocious stuff, I'd say. And, you know, I feel like it kind of made me have to just like uh, figure out ways to make fun and to create things and stuff mm. like that. Um, and I did get into music from like a younger age, kind of sang in a choir. And then when I was kind of a teenager, I started like playing guitar and stuff like that. So I feel was like music I... music in the family? Um, my mum's musical and my mum's side of the house would be would be quite musical. My mum's uh, like a really good singer um, and had a strong, strong love for music that she, well, specifically a love for ABBA that has just like been transplanted <laughs> onto yeah. me. So music was definitely around and something that I kind of had an interest in from a younger age. Mm. And so were your parents happy for you to pursue music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there yeah, was yeah. never any... No, but like, I mean, well, I mean, I did go to college and I I did arts and I work in a full time job separate to music as well. Mm. So I'm kind of balancing those two things. Um, But my mum would always have been very supportive of anything that I wanted to do. My mum was a a serious cheerleader. So, yeah, I think I could have told her anything and she would have been happy enough. But I had to go to college. Like there was no kind of qualms about that. Like, But I always imagine that that is part of the pressure of being an only child, Mm. where in a way you have to fulfill all of the expectations (laughs) that your parents might have. Whereas I think there's six of you, and especially if you're number five of six, mm. you know, a lot of the pressure's been taken off by the older ones, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I never felt that way, to be honest. My mum was always uh, really supportive of me. And even when I, I kind of think about, like, when I was younger and I, I really wanted to wear quite specific things, like kids around my age were kind of wearing more, like, girly clothes and stuff. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm literally not wearing that. Mm. And she was, like, super supportive of, she was just like, whatever you're comfortable in, whatever you yeah. feel happy in. Like, I don't think that would have necessarily been the you know, across the board at that time when yeah. I was growing up. So it was pretty, pretty cool that she kind of, you know, supportive in that way. Now, and of course, you are quite a bit younger than me, but um, I would say you're sort of the generation after me, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I was growing up in Mayo, you know, to me, queerness was, it, it didn't even enter the, the, the picture frame. Yeah. Um, it just didn't exist. And so even coming to any sort of self-discovery about who I was or whatever, you know, was quite relatively late in life comparison to kids nowadays and mm. and a, a sort of a roundabout journey and all of that stuff. Now, with you, was your experience similar or different? I mean, like you were growing up, we growing up in the internet age. Yeah, I, I actually got, like, I remember getting, you remember Gateway? They were like one of the first computers that kind of came out around the time oh, and you could like yeah. order it and it came in a big box and I like built the computer at home and we had the dial-up thing. So it was oh like... Oh so lesbian. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah building your own computer <laughs> yeah, at well, home. I'm like <laughs> overselling it now in fairness. It was like, you know, like heavily instructed. But yeah, it was back in the day when it was like, you know, mum would be on the phone and she'd pick it up and she'd hear me on the internet like and have yeah. to kind of bump me off. So yeah, there was the internet, but like it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like anything in like infancy, what we... Yeah, yeah, and it wouldn't have been anything that played a part in in my sexuality or like Mm. anything to do with that but I think I did start to realize when I was probably like maybe 14 15 or something like that um so I'd say it was similar 
we had a similar experience, but different also, because I think for me, it wasn't really like I was never going to be like out at that age. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Course, like that yeah. wasn't a thing that was really going to be possible. Mm. But at the same time, I did confide in some friends and had supportive friends who who kind of knew and, you know, and I had that support as I was coming up to kind of like finishing school and leaving to go to college and stuff. So like you is, were out to some friends, quietly out to some friends in school in Charlestown. Yeah. You see, even that is quite yeah, a yeah. big change, yeah, in the, yeah. In, the, in the intervening years from yeah. when I was that age. Yeah, I imagine so for sure. And like that was that that was a huge support for me because I was very much like I knew who I was, and I I was very like you know I want to get to college, I want to meet people like me, like all of that kind of stuff. So having people that I could talk to and confide in mm. and all of that, I think, was a huge um, thing for me at that age. But that that does now sort of mark you out to me, though, as someone who really knows their own mind, because that is still you know, and in the context of the time. That was very self-aware of you and determined of you, I, I think I would say, too. I think I was just a bit gay, you know, I couldn't ignore it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, I even remember like any kind of thing on, on TV or anything. I just wanted to kind of see myself yeah. reflected, you know, yeah. and I remember around that time it was like Queer as Folk came out, which yeah. was like so controversial and like, you yeah. know, huge at the time. And I was just like, wow, this is like people exist like this yes. somewhere, you know, like not which many is, lesbians in it. No, though. Like, no, did that, yeah. Did that matter to you? Oh yeah, definitely. But I think at that time, any kind of representation was mm. was was good to see. But I remember we used to kind of get the bus to go away to go shopping and stuff like that. And I used to get the bus to to go away. I'd go into Charlie Burns bookshop and they had GCN in there. Mm. So when I was a teenager and it was like around the back of the door and I swear to God, I'd be walking down that street and my heart would be like yes, pounding out of my yeah, chest because yeah. I was like, just go in, just do it really quickly, just grab it, like it'd be totally fine and like go in, get it. But then it was like a total lifeline because I was like, yeah. there's like events and there's groups and like these people are like yeah. living their lives. So I was just like super excited to kind of get to, to college and, and meet some kind of people like myself, you know. And so where was college? Uh, Galway. Okay. And like... It, I jokingly often refer to Galway as like the lesbian city, you know, <laughs> the, the outdoorsiness, the the iron jumpers and all the yep. nice coffee shops. Um, So what year were you going to college? 2001, I think. Around okay. 2001, yeah. And so at that stage, was there like a an active, vibrant, you know, gay queer club or whatever? Yeah, or? yeah. So I remember going to the open day with all the societies and stuff. And Pluto was what the gay society was called back in the day. And I was just kind of like, Pluto, yeah. People like us together and out. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, yeah. That's kind of cute. I know. I think it's changed. It, like it changed to Gigsock, uh, Gay and Galway. I think you know after that. But mm. um, but yeah, Pluto back in the day, and uh, you know I sought them out for sure. And then I remember they did this amazing thing, which was just like huge for for someone like me who was just like very anxious and, and quite nervous about meeting people mm. and moving into that space. But they did this thing called an icebreaker, where someone from yes. the organization came and they met you before and then took you along to the meeting. And I, met I this, did that. Oh, Dublin. class! That's so like, cool. Like when I was. 18, 17, 18, whatever, in college, I went to an icebreakers meeting in a room in the Clarence Hotel. Oh, wow. Before, long before it was bought over by you two was cool. <laughs> um, and that was exactly that. And it was a lifesaver. They took us to a gay bar afterwards. Yeah. And that was it. My life changed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God, amazing. And like the guy who met me and he was just so kind and warm and open. And it's funny because I just remember being like, wow, this, this is a gay man. <laughs> like, you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> just like unbelievable. And yeah, I just felt like my world really opened up then when I when I went to college there. That's good to know. Um, and of course, that is where you met Roisin, is it? It is, yeah. We actually met through the Gay Society. There you go. I was in second year. She was in first year. Um, so we met at an event. We actually went down to Strano at the time. Oh, yes. I remember yeah, Strano. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good spot. And uh, they had karaoke on the night that we met. So we all did that. And she won karaoke, which she still slags me about to this day because I'm just like very competitive and raging, uh, essentially, that she uh, um, bet me. You're And we were together for like a very short period of time then, but we stayed friends for a very long time. And then we got back together and we got married in 2018 up in Donegal. That is so cute. Was she your first girlfriend? Um, was she my first girlfriend? I think she was, yeah. God, she's going to kill me now. So we were adorable. like together for, like it was very short lived, yep. but we, we remain good friends. Yeah. 
at the time, um, were you the cool girl at karaoke because you were already into your music? Um, well, I was kind of into music at the time. I was like playing in bands and stuff like that, but I hadn't kind of started doing my own solo okay. stuff. That took a lot longer. And what kind of bands are you playing in? Um, played in a metal band, played in a jazz kind of band, blues band. Um, but it took me quite a while to actually kind of come to you know, my own solo music and what I kind of wanted mm. to do or what I'm doing now and have been for the last like 10 years or whatever. And so were you the classic college music aficionado kid, like at, you know, at home, lying in your bed, listening to Alanis Morissette and living your life? Yeah, I love Alanis Morissette. You nailed that one right on the head. Were you sort of ignoring in some ways maybe some of your studies in order to live your student muso life? I think at that time I was really... Like I'm a Virgo and I'm, I'm a bit of a realist like and I, I actually was very much like, well, you know, you can't be like you're either like super famous and you're making like a mint from your music and you're like touring around the world or you're not in music. You're just kind of doing it as a passer or whatever. I didn't really see a route to music as a career at that age, you know, and especially not in like the music that I'm doing right now. So it took me a lot longer to kind of come back to it later on in my 20s. You know, I was I was actually going out with a girl that I met in Australia and she really kind of got me back into music because she was just kind of like, you're really good. And like, you know, why aren't you doing anything with it? And I was just like, oh, it's like, what's the point? Like, you know, it doesn't matter. And it's really hard. Mm. Blah, blah. And she was just like, it, that's kind of silly. Like, and you should just try. And I was in Australia at the time. And then when I came back from Australia, I started to make moves to get back into doing something myself properly. Mm. I mean, in a way, so many of the musicians that I talk to these days have similar kind of stories and um the way the music industry has changed so much, mm. it's become like all these cottage industries and you yeah. have to release your own music and do everything yourself. And that sort of old fantasy of playing your gig in some pub and then somebody spots you for a yeah, record coming yeah. all that, it doesn't really happen like that anymore. And so, so many people, they're balancing, you know, the day job mm. with their music. And I'm always amazed that they keep at it mm. and, and, and make a career in music by sheer determination in a way yeah um because you're unable to to not I know and that's literally how I am now I'm just I can't not do it like I just love it so much it's like such an outlet for me and definitely over the last couple of years with everything that's happened it gave me more time to like write and kind of uh you know come up with new stuff and collaborate with some incredible artists and stuff like that so I just can't not do it like it's just kind of built into me now you know but so when when you were first getting into it um you were doing the singer-songwriter yep. route, um, Alanis. <laughs> yeah. You were being Alanis. And, uh, but, of course, that has changed and you're now very much into electronic music. And where did that change happen or how did that change happen? Very, very slowly. And, like, you know, that's one thing that I, I would love if I had kind of gotten into the electronic side of things earlier. But, you know, for me, it was kind of a journey. And I think the entry point for me into music was, like, this is what, you know, as a singer songwriter, it's like, okay, I'll just play the guitar. And that's kind of what mm. is available to me almost, you know, this yeah. is the space that makes sense. But then I bought a loop pedal, and that was like, definitely my entry point into mm. experimentation because I was like there's so much stuff that you can do now I can like layer I can like make it much more interesting live mm. and stuff like that she took my hand I felt as I slipped away from myself to where she could and then I was living in Galway at the time and there was a, an artist there a guy called Will, Will O'Connor who was doing really interesting stuff with Ableton like live looping and we met and he was just like I can show you like how to use Ableton and kind of get you going with like doing that kind of loop stuff which I was like now, amazing I, I'm Ableton and live looping that's I mean I've I think I know what you mean that's when like you, you go and then it goes and yeah. then you add something else <laughs> and you're doing it on stage and yes yeah exactly yeah. Um, so yeah it's just like this music production software but it's really uh, it's really I would say like you know kind of user friendly and fun especially for yeah. like live looping stuff which is what I was doing at the time um, and then that really just set me on this path of like getting more into kind of electronic music and production and stuff like that see, this is all very interesting to me because um, I mean I'm going to talk to you later a bit about um the sort of the stuff you're doing with the women in the industry. But from your own personal point of view, it's interesting to me that in the beginning you felt the singer songwriter, me and me guitar route was the only one that was open to you because it is true. Even now 
that I think a lot of women assume that mm. um, because that is what is presented as how a woman accesses the music industry in a way. And I think it is still unusual and rare to see a woman taking control of the means of production. Mm. <laughs> and Marx would love you. Um, but you know what I mean? Uh, and being the producer, the engineer, the person who's pushing all the buttons and all of that, that is still presented as a very male mm. um, thing to be doing. So it is interesting to me that your journey has gone from this singer, songwriter, uh, lady with guitar to being the person at the desk. Mm. Was that conscious or it's just what you felt more comfortable evolving into? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, like, you know, now that I'm kind of more on the other side of it a little bit, I realise that it's the music that I really love. Well, I really love electronic music. I like producing stuff. I find it really fun. I find it the way that I can kind of write and create. So, like, it makes sense. But I probably wouldn't have said that 10 years ago because I didn't really know that that mm. was, like, an option. Um, so it's definitely a bit of both. But, yeah, I feel like, you know, when I was kind of coming to it, I, I just didn't see a route into... I was just like, this is what I... I'll play the guitar. It's what I know. It's what I was taught. It's what I kind mm. of had the option of learning. So, like, this is what I'll do. I think like even in the, you know, probably 10 years since I started that journey, I think things have changed a lot because there are a lot more opportunities kind of coming up now for younger people and, and women to kind of get into that side of the music industry, which I think is really interesting and is really good to see. And like I'm part of Key Change, which is something that I was mm. um, selected for in 2020, which is it's essentially a network of women and, and an EU initiative that are, are, are striving to, to get you know, gender equality within the music industry. And like being part of that network just so, totally opened my eyes because like I met like the first female mastering engineer, never met one before, like women working in all kind of strands of the industry that I had never even kind of just like, you know, recognized. So mm. that was really incredible. And I think, you know, initiatives like that will help hopefully in time for women at a younger age to get into those industries. Because for me, certainly, I didn't feel like that opportunity was there when I was in my, my 20s and it took me longer to kind of get into yeah. it, you know. Well, it's funny because I didn't know anything about key change until I was reading about you. Um, and it's a European initiative, initiative yeah. which seems, you know, particularly powerful to me in a way to be doing it on that scale. Mm. And basically they're trying to sort of like get festivals and stuff to sign up to yeah. have, you know, 50-50 you know, gender um, divide on their lineup and all of that yeah and organizations as well to, yeah. yeah yeah and it's funny because then there are the sort of more local organizations here and doing similar work yeah and well so you've personally benefited from being involved in that already yeah massively like i i i I kind of didn't really realize the power of network, I think, until like this kind of happened in 2020. And the other thing that happened in 2020 was Irish Women in Harmony, yes. um, which was incredible as well, like spearheaded by Ruth Ann, who brought all these women together in Ireland. And, you know, essentially it was to do a cover and raise money for Safe Ireland. Of the Cranberry's dream. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And all my dreams is never quite as it seems. But it actually became a network and a movement and this just like unbelievably lively WhatsApp group of women who are just chatting and supporting each other and it's been incredible like. To see things like that forming, I think like, you know, they're just having such a positive impact because it's kind of like bringing to the fore, you know, that there are all these women who are yeah. working in the industry, that there are so many incredible women creating music here in Ireland and, you know, obviously abroad that need to be recognised and have that kind of opportunity to shine as well.
Yeah, and it's funny, I sort of see the influence of all of these things, even if sometimes I think they're not even conscious influences, mm. because um, so I see so many now really great women artists and loads of them, for example, were in the dreams thing. Yeah. yeah just collaborating with each other yeah. all the time now, you know, you know, Loa and Emma Langford and, and yourself and May Kay and yeah. Sorga Richardson. And it feels to me that there is a sort of um, a new upsurge in women collaborating with other women and and even online then i can see all the time now women lifting each other up and yeah. being very supportive of each other I, I feel like you can already see the benefits of all of these things yeah that's amazing to hear and i mean i think from a personal perspective and i think a lot of the women in in irish women in harmony have said this too that like you know you kind of felt a little bit isolated beforehand because as, especially as a solo artist, you're kind of like in your own little box and you're doing your own thing and you're yeah. hoping people like it and you're just trying to put yourself out there. But then you realise that there are all these other women who are doing the exact same thing. And as soon as you come together, it's just like, okay, you've like had this exact same shared experience mm. and now we can just like support each other, yeah. which is pretty amazing. And it's funny because you said, you know, you didn't really think of networking as a, as a thing. I think that also is something that, you know, men are very used to, mm. you know, networking and and whether it's in the pub and or playing golf or, yeah. you know, it's kind of built into you know, business networks and all of that. Um, so it's interesting, you know, to to see that happening in the music industry amongst women now. Well, speaking of your many and wonderful collaborations, um, your Alvaredi is here. So let, uh, let's bring Alvin and we'll, um, you're going to do the track for us and uh, we'll chat a bit about it. Awesome. Welcome, Alvaredi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so, first of all, how did you two meet? We met through playing with Dahi. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we bumped into each other time and time again. Brush shoulders. Yeah, yeah, brush shoulders. And then yeah. we met. Um, I released a song with Dahi of 2019. Yeah, And we would have so. played loads of gigs together through that and immediately hit it off. Yep. Yeah. And then whose idea was it to do a track together? Um, well, I was working on um, some stuff for my album at the time and I was kind of looking at doing collaborations and Alva and I had said we'd always love to do a track together. Um, so I had some tracks that I was working on and I sent them over to her and this one really resonated with her. So we yeah. went from there via WhatsApp and Zoom <laughs> and, and and phone calls and annoying text messages from yeah. me, I'm sure. Lots of voice notes of what do you think so of me? Many. <laughs> 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 well, and Alva, um, I, should, I should ask you about your own album and personal history, which already came out. Let's fall into routine The romance of watching TV Hearing your broken sleep Feeling the warmth of your body But I didn't realise it would be nominated for a choice um, press so Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Mm. Um, very nice. It's called Personal History. It is, yeah. Yes. And um, is it a personal history? <laughs> I mean, kind of, I always think there were no other albums called that, which I just saw a gap in the market. Because nice. I was like, isn't every debut album kind of that? Yeah. So maybe you should call your album that as well. <laughs> Got it. No, Personal Thank History you. 2. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she did her own artwork as well, which is very did impressive. You? Yeah. I did. You see... Artistic people are artistic. <laughs> yeah. And also yeah. we're all cheap, so we're just trying to like <laughs> yeah. shave the cost off. Well, also in the music, like we were sort of referencing, you really have to be like cottage a little industry, cottage yeah. industry to kind of... You're doing do everything, everything else or call in favors. People yeah. are like, how did you get to know how to do animation so well? And it's like, um, had to, absolutely yeah. had yeah. to do that. <laughs> My experience of lockdown, you know, was the first part of it. I was so productive. Mm. Did you make use of that? I uh, did a whole second album for the whole lockdown, pretty much. Mm. And do you know um, what your second album is going to be called? Uh, Endless Affair. And it's going to be out next year. But um, I haven't said anything about it yet. But hey, look. Exclusive. Hey, breaking news. People will be thrilled. <laughs> so, Lynn, what, tell us about the track. Um, so, the track is called Still Feel. Um, it's a collaboration between myself and Alva. And it's a summer banger. It's a summer banger. <laughs> I should have just said that. Banger. It's a summer banger. Um, like, um, we're going to play it loud because this is the closest thing to a, a field festival gig I've come to all year. So, yeah, well, hopefully later this year there might be some festival outings for it. That'd be great, yeah. yeah we would yeah, love fingers that. Fingers crossed. All right, let's hear it. Mm -hmm. 
Huge festival crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so good. Very kind. Yeah, it's so good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it would be so good to be doing it at Electric Picnic or something, wouldn't it? Yeah, every time we play it or even I like, listen to it, I'm like, God, I wish we were on stage. <laughs> well, it might be happening. I mean, they're, they're still... I have hope, yeah. Yeah. Gotta have hope. Thank you so much, Ava. I totally loved that. Um, and I can't wait, hopefully... To hear it at a festival sometime soon. Same, same. Um, <laughs> I was just um, laughing to myself as I was bending down there trying to pick up my notes and having difficulty um, because I've got a whole new shape in lockdown, which I'm now slowly endeavouring to defeat. But you, Elaine, you took up indoor rowing <laughs> during lockdown. Yep. What the hell is that? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, like, like a rowing machine from a gym. Yeah, yeah, we have like a water rower thing. Um, my wife bought it a couple of years ago because she because we've always really struggled with exercise. We just don't really have any interest, to be honest. Like, yeah. I'm not into it. Um, yeah. So we bought one with the best of intentions and never really got into it. Um, but then in lockdown, obviously, not really been able to leave and do anything. I was like, this is probably a good time to try and get into it. Um, 
So I have, but what I've actually found really good for is just like my mental health. And like people say that like exercise can like, you know, get your endorphins going and make you feel a bit better. And I never really bought into that, to be honest, but I've discovered that it is actually true. And it has helped me to kind of decompress or like help with stress if I am, um, you know, feeling a bit, bit overwhelmed or whatever. So I found it pretty useful for that. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have an indoor rowing machine in me flat because it's not big enough. Mm. But, you know, I'm one of those people who I've actually been exercising for ever yep um so i totally get the endorphins thing yeah because like after a long run you are literally on a high yeah and the sweat's pouring out of you and you've got a grin on you and it feels amazing but to get to that point you have to go through the <laughs> to effort get to that bloody point and my god in my living room or spare bedroom or something is just no way i yeah. just don't have that sort of dedication to it yeah i think that's why it actually worked for me is because it was literally so close to me it's just like okay fine it's like six feet away it's like eyeballing me so i'll just like try and do it um so i've definitely enjoyed it for sure so yeah no it will never work for me um I mentioned in the introduction that the marriage equality referendum kind of changed both our lives um, because we both ended up getting married um, and we're similarly long time married. When is your um, um, anniversary? So, yeah, we'll be three years in August. Three years in August. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks very much. It's all going well so far. Good, good. <laughs> um, well, because it is funny to, because, you know, like yourself, I was not very long married when lockdown happened and then you spent 15 months uh, locked into an apartment. Somebody. Yeah. So I think um, it's, uh, you know, forging your marriage in, 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 in the fires of, you know, whatever. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you, you, if you, if you, if you manage that, it'll be all pain. Yeah, I totally agree. On. I feel like we've just become even closer through lockdown, mm. you know. So, um, yeah, there's been good things to it too. And, and so, like, when the marriage equality thing was happening, um, obviously I got involved and, you know, was very much behind it and all of that. Um, but in a way, for me, it was um, an esoteric question uh, in the sense that I w very much believed in it from a purely equality perspective. Mm -hmm. And I felt if, you know, if, if there are gay people who want to get married, they should be able to, yep. just like anybody else. Even then, thought, wasn't, wasn't you know, I you? wasn't. Because yeah, yeah. I was never one of those people who, who desperately wanted it for myself. Yeah. So in a way, I was almost surprised when a few years later, I, I did end up getting married. Yeah. Were you similar or you were already, you were saying, no, I definitely want to get married, you know, and therefore I'm going to campaign for the right to. Um, a bit of both. I mean, I think <laughs> it was kind of starting to be in my head a little bit more. But I think for like when I was younger, I wasn't really thinking about it at all. And I, I certainly wasn't like fantasizing about it or anything like that. But I think, you know, as I, as I was kind of getting a little bit older and kind of thinking about that potentially as something for me mm. down the line, you know, I was obviously kind of like, yeah, this is something that I really want to see. But I think, you know, more than anything, if it never happened for me, I just wanted, as you say, for everybody to have that opportunity, you know. Yeah. And being on the other side of it now and like having the wedding that we did in 2018 it was just such an amazing day and I feel like there was even more love and support and everything there because we had been through this really horrible yeah. oppressive you know volatile time where our lives were just like on display and being debated like for for years and to kind of not to be completely on the other side of that but to be in a much better place and to have that day with our friends and family mm. and one of our really good friends um, Vicky Curtis who I'm, I'm sure you probably know she's a spoken word artist and she's got a beautiful poem called Two Fat Ducks about the... Yes, the I, yeah. yes she, and she did it for us and years she did ago, it at our wedding way back in Yeah, we love it. Yeah, she's incredible. I'd get down on bended knee and proclaim your wife because this country I love opened her heart and 1,201,607 people screamed, I'm yours. And you can marry whoever you want and whomever you choose. doesn't bother me as long as I have this right to say I do too. But on that great day, the 22nd of May, 62% said that love conquers all. And yes, we said yes, they did yes. So she did it at um, at the wedding for us, and it just felt like a real moment, you know. Mm. Well, also, you know, that thing when parents say, you know, um, no, I'm not going to buy you a bicycle. You have to work, do the pocket money and save up for yourself because you don't appreciate something unless you, you know, work for it. Yeah. In, in a weird way, I kind of feel like when, you know, when I got married, I felt like, yeah, I actually worked, you know, yeah, for this. Of course. Like, this, this, I really appreciate what is happening here yeah. because... 
you know, we had to fight to get it. Yeah. So I do feel that it definitely made it more um, resonant, yeah. emotionally powerful yeah. on the day. Yeah. Like, yeah, I fucking deserve this of because course. I worked bloody hard to get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you were pivotal in that whole thing. And, and I mean, like actually recently just watched The Noble Call again. People who have never experienced homophobia in their lives, people who have never checked themselves at a pedestrian crossing, have told me that unless I am being thrown into prison or herded onto a... And, you know, I think from a purely personal perspective, like you really articulated something that I feel like so many, you know, queer people at the time hadn't even really kind of engaged with properly, like Mm. this kind of idea of, you know of checking yourself or like Mm. that feeling of oppression, like walking down the street and seeing these posters about your life and stuff like that. I feel like you really kind of like, um, you know, put put a kind of a, a shone, shone a light on it, but also kind of articulated it for so many people. And I really feel like there was a kind of a, a big surge after that of people mm. just coming together. And you know yourself, like out on the streets, knocking on doors and, yeah. you know, how important that was. Denounced for using hate speech because I dare to use the word homophobia. And a jumped up queer like me should know that the word homophobia is no longer available to gay people, which is a spectacular and neat Orwellian trick because now it turns out that gay people are not the victims of homophobia. Homophobes are the victims (laughs) of homophobia. Well, it's also, you know, annoyance or anger can often... um, spur you on to to do things or it actually clarifies your mind sometimes um so you say exactly what you want to say Mm. so for me personally that was just one of those things i wasn't i had no big notions about it yeah i was pissed off yeah and so i was saying why i was pissed off but the other thing that's interesting to me is that the groundwork for the the change that happened had been slowly being laid for 30, 40 years by a lot, you know, thousands of different people. And sometimes when it must have felt very lonely, you know, to be doing that kind of work and and all that. But then it almost felt like around 2014, 15, it, it sort of reached a tipping point and then the change came spilling down. Did you feel that? I definitely feel like I, I kind of recognised the work and the the difficulty and the pain and strife that had gone before me. Um, and obviously I wasn't kind of a part of that, but like I definitely remember being, you know, young and, you know, whatever. I think I was, let me again do terrible maths. You know, I was like nine or ten when homosexuality was decriminalised, mm-hmm. like, you know. So it, it definitely felt like there was a, a journey to get there. Yeah. And although it happened quite quickly, I suppose, in that those couple of years, like, as you say, there was decades of work mm. that went before that. Um, and I think I definitely always have kind of, you know, felt aware yeah. of that for sure. But to me, like, it was exciting in the end when mm. it, it really did seem to just tumble down. Yeah. You know, like, the change did seem so dramatic and, like, it was exhilarating. It was. Majority of votes in favour of the proposal... 467,307. You know, to see that a a country like Ireland could actually change that much, that deeply and that significantly in in a, in what felt in the end like a short, you know. Yeah. Period of time. Um, It was dramatic. And then, and then it's also weird now to be sitting here in Ireland looking at Hungary and uh, Poland and I think for an Irish person to be having that feeling is is still a relatively new experience Mm. you know yeah but yeah interesting and so how is married life Uh, it's great love it ideal very happy she's an absolute gem and I'm very lucky And uh, she's from Donegal, mm-hmm. you're from Mayo, but you're Dublin-based. Yeah, correct. Is she in the creative 
the industries are. Um, she's an editor and um, she'd be kind of big into art and stuff as well and uh, adores music. So we've loads of things in common. Now that we're standing on top of the throne, I see you now. And, you know, we have a cat as well that kind of keeps keep that keeps us on our toes as well. Um, I think you have a cat as well, don't you? I do have a cat as well. Um, <laughs> and well, I've had a dog for 13 years, Penny, and yeah. um, she's great and all. But Pe- Penny's very self-contained and she's not interested in other people. And we ended up getting a cat just after the first lockdown. Okay. And, you know, we felt I really wanted a cat. And, I was just, you know, I mean, we'd had cats when we were kids. I, I like cats. I'm nothing against them. But I didn't. But... I've absolutely adored having the cat. Oh, really? Why is oh that? Oh my God, he's just so fun. And yeah. He's so engaged with everything. He's adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he wants attention, he's going to get it from you. And that's also cute and adorable too. And so I'm, I'm now converted into being a cat lady. Yeah, like I love dogs as well, but I just feel like cats are, you know, they make you work for it and they're super yeah. independent and like very intelligent. Like our cat's called Juno and I feel like sometimes she just com- comes home, but like it's it's incidental that we're there. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? She's just going yeah. like, oh, you guys are here, yeah? Um, yeah. And kind of just looks for her food and stuff. Um, well, I'm not going to say now that cats have overtaken dogs. Okay. I'm just saying that I, I, I appreciate them both you know, yeah. equally. They bring different things to the table. That's and very true. both valid. <laughs> for sure, for sure. The last thing I sort of really want to talk to you is um, about your, I mean, you do a lot of collaborations now and remixes, mm-hmm. which I always feel is like a, well, from the outside, if I was musical, that that is what I would like to do. Cool. People give you something that's formed mm-hmm. and then they say, bedazzle that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so is, um, and of course, recently you did uh the track Gay Girls by the Pillow Queens. Yeah. And um, I love it. Mm. I love the Pillow Queens. Oh, and, I stopped, uh, love them. The original track I loved. Um, but your version is, it's an entirely different beast yeah. that retains the essence of the, the first. Well, first of all, how did you get into the remixing thing? Um, remixing was actually like a big way uh, for me to kind of get into electronic music because when I started to learn how to use Ableton, it's a really good way to learn because you're not like creating anything. You're kind of, you've got some stuff to work with. You've got mm. stems that already exist. So you can kind of drag them in and then play around with them and see if something kind of sparks. Yeah. So it was how I kind of learned to really get into it at the start, um, which was cool. Like I initially remixed some of my own stuff because I didn't have anything else. So I was like, yeah. I'll just do these. Um, and then I kind of like started doing some for friends and kind of started doing some work for other people um but it's really fun I, f- I actually find it way easier to do remixes than to write because uh you have a starting point you have a foundation yeah. so it's it's nice in that way because what you said is so true i mean you want to be kind of bringing something new to the table and reinterpreting it and not in any way kind of tarnishing the original mm. beautiful piece of work that it already was um so i parked that one and then i moved on to to gay girls and worked on it for for quite some time but at the the beautiful vocal like Pam's gorgeous vocal that have kind of isolated and made the kind of main piece in that track is just stunning like and I kind of will look for that in a remix I'll look for something that really kind of just like gets me in my my heart you know and I'm like sweet I'll just like loop that Mm. and then try and build some new um, chords and melodies around that so that's kind of where that one came from. Some of the great ones you've done for Loa, yeah, and we're big fans of Loa. God, here. she's unbelievable, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and like looking looking ahead, do you think is that something that you could just see yourself, you know, doing producing, um, or you always want to be focused on your own? music at the core of things yeah I mean I'm definitely open to it but I think for me it's it's artist first you know like I mean it's very much kind of like writing and creating and performing um, and then I like doing the remixes and all and that kind of stuff but ideally I think it's kind of more a focus on myself but I'm very open to working with other people as yeah. well as we know <laughs> well and also collaborating is fun yeah it's so much fun yeah because it can be very you know I mean obviously my thing is different but um you know, I, for years I did the theatre shows totally mm. on my own. And uh, 
it's fun and you're working with a director and all that stuff but it's it's you don't get the like when you come off the stage and it's just you in your dressing room and then when you're in and you're in a show with other people mm -hmm. the vibe is so much lighter and yeah shared and everything so. yeah totally i think it can kind of get you out of your head and i think you know doing those collaborations here in lockdown as well was such a lifeline because it was like a reason to chat to people and like we were just having conversations and, and getting this stuff done which was really cool you know mm. so um the two tracks you've dropped in the last while they are making up they're part of an album correct um so Tell us, tell me about the album. So working on finalising that at the moment. Um, Going to have another couple of singles coming out in the next few months and then hoping to get the album out in October. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because the music industry, again, it's changing so much all the time. And, you know, when I was younger, it was all about the albums. And, I know, you know, I know. Everything. And nowadays... Everything has to be re released in bits and yeah, this is yeah. A different. You kind of want to get the the like the worst out of it. Like sounds a bit reductive, but like you know, you kind of want to like showcase what you've done because it's very easy in this modern age when there's just so much stuff and there's so much new yeah. music and there's so much noise. So you, you kind of want to get people to engage and, and yeah. showcase as much of it as you possibly can. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this so that it yeah. doesn't just kind of like come out and then disappear again. Because especially when you've put so much work into yeah. it, you know. And when and things nowadays, because there's so much stuff, things really incredible, beautiful things can slip through the cracks just by accident of the week it was released or whatever. Exactly. exactly yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you have to feckin' love music to <laughs> yeah. keep at it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Anyway, Elaine, it's been a delight and lovely to finally um, hook up with a fellow Mayo woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're our first um, guest on the show that's from Mayo. We were ah. thinking back all through pandemic and everything. Now, maybe someone is going to remind me and tell me I'm wrong, but we could not think this morning of anybody oh, else from awesome. Mayo. That's awesome. I feel so very honored. Thank you. <laughs> so, yes, I've really very much enjoyed meeting you um, and uh, swapping cat stories, married stories, and... Um, I'm very much looking forward to having the chance to see some live gigs, maybe with you soon. For sure, hopefully, crossed. yes. Anyway, um, and thank you to Alvaredi um, for joining us. Um, you can find all the tracks on Bandcamp. The links will be in the podcast show notes. And you can check out the videos of Elaine and Alva's performance um, here with us today online also at pantasocracy.ie. And the videos, as always, made by the talented and beautiful John Howard, um, who stands quietly observing everything <laughs> in this place and um, so thanks a million thank you for listening that's it from this episode of the panty personals and we'll be back that was great thank you so much <laughs> it's really nice to meet you properly yes lovely to meet you we'll have to meet up in mayo now that'll be the yes. next one although you know i don't really do north mayo <laughs>